Festivus for the rest of us. Jerry Stiller from the TV show Seinfeld. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Oh. Just as a warning, this week's episode may have strong language. I actually think there's been strong language in the past, and I just didn't take the professional step of giving that warning ahead of time, because it was mostly when I had guests, and I never set rules for my guests, I'm pretty sure Nick has literally said things that should make this podcast canceled. Anyway, welcome everybody. This is the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward, host of the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, it is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. It is the 23rd, 22nd, 22nd of December. The unofficial holiday of Festivus, the uh, Seinfeld-created non-secular holiday for people that want to celebrate the December month, but do not want to attribute it to uh, religious purposes. Um, welcome. Welcome to the second Christmas season that we have been recording this podcast this is episode 79 that means we are 20 uh i was gonna say 21 plus 4 25 25 weeks away from two years on the air if you count being on the internet on the air which you really shouldn't because anybody can do it uh literally there was no qualifications other than me submitting to the different podcasting studios. Anyway, we're saying there may be strong language in this week's episode. Uh, because, one, it is a holiday episode. Two, there is some cat shit going on. I don't mean that in, like, an expletive term. I mean it in a very literal sense. There's cats running around. You might hear that going on in the background we have we're we're in the sort of makeshift setup this is the original setup of the audio sounds like the first couple episodes of the silver linings playcast that is because we are back for the first time in over a year and a half recording on the original audio uh setup that was the uh the podcast debuted on 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 a blue yeti microphone and Recording right into Audacity. We have since upgraded the equipment, but not the content. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's probably been a steady decline in the quality of content over the last year and a half. And I'm referencing year and a half because we started off pretty strong. As if I think I think anybody could probably start off a podcast that's supposed to be about a single movie pretty strong for like, you know, anywhere from two you could you could definitely do I'm going to I'm going to go on a limb and say for any movie that you wanted to make a podcast solely devoted to you could definitely do at least two episodes 2 hour long episodes because if the movie is 2 hours you can definitely just watch the movie an hour of it and react to it uh you could probably get another two episodes out of just breaking down as as a film fan, as a cinephile, as a writer, if it's a comedy, a comedian, uh, you know, you can do a film assessment. Um, but we have done a lot of different things on this podcast. We have done Silver Linings Playbook fan fiction. We have done interviews with people that are related two themes that are discussed in the Silver Linings Playbook movie and the Silver no Silver Linings Playbook the movie and the Silver Linings Playbook the book we have interviewed guests that have nothing to do with Silver Linings Playbook the movie and the Silver Linings Playbook the book we would like to get more guests on uh, I will one day 
get back on Twitch, Brian, and talk to you again, hopefully one day. I've been missing you because my schedule has been totally gone. I still check in, and I've watched some of your your videos uh, pre-recorded, but I haven't gotten to talk to you live in a while because my schedule has changed. I know your schedule changed. Hope work is going well. Anyway, we have made it. Uh, we are almost at the end of 2021, and what a 2021 year it's been. I was looking back because I wanted to talk about some of the reasons that I think Silver Linings Playbook is one of the best Christmas movies of all time. Something that was actually discussed not around the Christmas season, and when I was looking to see if I had done this topic last Christmas season, I actually uncovered the old episodes. If you look exactly a year ago, and one day, 366 days ago, it wasn't a leap year, I had one of my best friends, Conrad Brombarek, on as a special guest, and we talked about what we always do, nothing that had to do with the topic of what we were supposed to discuss, and I got the answers from him and his fiance about what they thought were the different parts of Silver Linings Playbook that I always have questions about. And if you go a couple episodes before that, you see you'll you'll encounter some extremely depressed, depressing SLP fan fiction. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on around me. Uh, there is fireworks going off in the background, literal and metaphorical. Said we were battling some cats that are deciding to uh, defecate inside house which uh, we will get over. I'm also uh, here I apologize that these have been getting later and later but that is actually why I had the for foresight now we can say it almost years ago to release Thursday episodes by recording them on Wednesday. So even though we are getting this in just under the wire, it is a Thursday podcast, even if you're used to them mostly coming out on Wednesday. And again, we've been keeping this up. All right, for those of you that are of other holiday celebrating persuasions, if you have already celebrated your seasonal holiday, I hope you had a great one if you are celebrating an upcoming one. Uh, namely, Christmas is in three days from now. I hope you have a Merry Christmas because we will not, uh, because we're not going to be back till after the, the holiday. Now, one of the things that I have mentioned, I believe, before, and we are just going to go back over this because maybe it will just become my yearly War on Christmas movies that it became totally memed that that uh, the movie Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it takes place during the Christmas time frame. The reason that that happens, and I've listened to a lot of writing podcasts, especially some of the, the main ones, uh, Script Notes podcast, which is a fantastic feature film screenwriting writing uh, podcast, is talking about how important it is to sort of create high stakes and emotional stakes for when you have a movie. And there is nothing that heightens the stakes of everything more than setting it at Christmas time. Now, Silver Linings Playbook definitely takes place uh, encompassing a period of time that, uh, that Christmas falls in. In fact, Christmas is, I believe it is two or three days, I think it's two days before the big game and the dance competition, which are really the climax of the movie. Uh, not so much the book, actually, because the book takes place over a time frame that happens more than five years. There's multiple Christmases. One of the things I'm so fascinated to do some more research in is there is actually food. Um, we're thinking about creating a The Silver Linings Playbook cookbook. It might be a difficult thing since there's only really two recipes that are associated with the movie Silver Linings Playbook, but there's a number of articles on the food featured in Silver Linings Playbook. And what those are, if you remember from the movie, is crabby snacks, 
and... Oh no, I'm blanking. I'm blanking on the name. Um, I'm blanking. Something. It's some name. It's not good ones. It's not, um... It's not Munchums. It's not Crunchums. What is it? Krabby, Krabby Snacks. And... This is so bad. You all know. See, I am not a professional. There is no reason that this podcast should have been going on for this many episodes. Krabby Snacks. Krabby Snacks and Homemades. We talked about this fact last week. Krabby Snacks and Homemades. We are going to, on an upcoming episode, we are definitely going to do a cooking episode where we make these recipes. If you did not listen to the last week's episode yet but for some reason are listening to this week's episode and there's no reason for that there is no reason why somebody should start this podcast at episode 79 if you did either just commit to the tragedy of how how empty your life is that you would even waste your time doing this and go all the way back to episode one and understand the journey that we've taken to this point or what I'd recommend as somebody that has sympathy and empathy for other people in the human race and loves my fellow man, cut your losses and don't listen to any more of this. This is ridiculous. This is the dumbest thing ever. I don't even think it is worthwhile. I've started in the last two weeks for the first time listening to my own podcast, not counting the times that I recorded it, and or spent time editing it and i've done very minimal editing to it it's not good i want to say the best episodes are the episodes where i have guests because i am interviewing people and they're actually very interesting and that is sort of what the podcast medium has become it is a forum for interviewing people the only problem is that i don't really have a reason to be interviewing them other than the ways that i make silver linings playbook into a thing in which they, um, you know, it's an excuse to have a conversation, which is exactly what I always talk about stand-up comedy as being. When I explain stand-up comedy to somebody that's never done stand-up comedy, telling jokes, how do I write a joke, Jamie? Well, I say, I say one of the best ways to get a stand-up comedy type of joke written is, is your setup is just your feeling or opinion on something. Do you have a thought or opinion on something? Everybody does. Everybody has thoughts on things. Find something that you are passionate about. And when I say passionate, it does not have to be something you love. It has to be something you love discussing. So it could be something you hate. It could be something that grosses you out, something that scares you. It just has to be something that you are passionate about occupying your mental space thinking about. I'm saying this because, like, you know, you you want to be able to talk about it for for a substantial amount of time right so let's take a topic just like just off the top of my head i'm coming up with something off the top of my head without even thinking about it that hard fishing right fishing i'm sure one of the the the, the blue collar guys talk uh billing ball has has a story bit about uh fishing trips um so so how do you how do you turn regular stories into a joke? Well, the joke is comprised of two main parts. Every joke has a setup and every joke has a punchline. The setup is where you set the audience's expectations about what to expect next. Setup. Knock knock. Knock knock is a setup because the audience now knows that we are in a hypothetical situation where somebody is at a door and you have to answer. So they're expecting that human transaction to, to, to take place between two beings of a sort. Knock, knock, the announcement of a visitor of an unknown entity. We're going to find out who is there by asking who is there. We're still in the setup now. Uh, and and I'll tell you, this these are jokes. Um, like the setup can be as long or as short as it needs to be to set up the audience's expectation about where we're going. The original knock knock jokes probably had to have longer setups because you didn't uh, knock knock jokes were not already part of the culture of the comedy vernacular of the public. 
So can you imagine the first person that told a knock-knock joke? Somebody was probably just like, knock-knock. And the other person probably just stared at them. I was like, huh. Why, why are you being mean twice? And then, then the person was like, no, 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 no. It's, it's like knocking on a door, right? Knock, knock. Then you say, who's there? And then the other person was probably like, oh, who's there? And then the first person probably said something uh, like their name. And, you know, that was probably the first, that was probably what the first jokes were like. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm kind of interested now. I want to look up the origin of knock-knock jokes and find out what the, the first knock-knock joke was. What do you think the knock-knock, the first knock-knock joke was? It was, I'm, I'm thinking actually maybe if it was better, because I'm, I'm sure the first knock, I'm sure knock-knock jokes weren't the first jokes invented. Um, in fact, I can, I can tell you very certainly they were not. Uh, because there's there's types of literary irony that are described uh, much earlier, but I'm, I know there's some type of historical precedent for for jokes. But think, so, like the first knock knock joke was probably like knock knock, who's there? Oh, I'm sorry, I have the wrong door, or something, something simple, simple like that. Uh, the the subversion of expectation comes at that point where you know. The, the joke teller has established, knock, knock, who's there? Okay, I've made a promise of we're going to answer this, you know, request for more information. This is a normal people transaction that happens every day with something that makes sense. And then the punchline being, oh, I have the wrong door. Uh, you know, like that is a thing that can really happen. So that's what makes it valid. But the fact that that's probably not what you were expecting because you were made this offer of I am going to answer your question with information. And the information is, oh, this whole scenario was ridiculous. I realize, okay, this, this, this whole example is absurd. You know from previous episodes, I'm not the best at creating these scenarios and answer analogies off the top of my head. Anyway, why are we even talking about the the concept of jokes? Oh, we're talking about uh, setups and punchlines. What was I... Okay. I'm sorry. Let's pause and rewind. So there is the War on Christmas Movies. My annual reminder that it is not funny to say that Die Hard is a Christmas movie anymore. Was it funny at one point? It probably was. It was probably, whole, I mean, it, was, it clearly was because so many people do it now and so many people, I went to a pilot gas station, a pilot truck stop a couple, like last year. It must've been around the December time frame. Maybe it wasn't, last year because i don't think i was traveling that much maybe the year before so it was it might it might have even been before the podcast because I've, I've held this strongly held belief before i even started recording a podcast that um but they had uh, a display full of christmas dvds that you could get if you needed like an impulse or a road buy for your friends or family and right along with the nine the, the display case that had nine Christmas movies, which included all the classic, you know, there's Charlie Brown, uh, Christmas, uh, there was the Rudolph, there was the Frosty the Snowman cartoon, probably uh, European Vacation, not European Vacation, you know what I'm talking about, right? Christmas Vacation, and they had Die Hard. And I'm sure whoever put it there was like, ah, in my head, it's so funny, people are really going to get a laugh, and I'm sure people, and they might have gotten a laugh two years ago. I'm saying it's that... It's that prevalent of a joke that even the the people that distribute retail products to national truck stops were in on the joke, right? So that being said, it's not super funny anymore. Why? Because if you say it, chances are you're not the person that thought of it. You were just echoing somebody else's joke. It was probably funny one time when one person said it and it was it was probably funny the first time you heard it we get it we get it all right we're like on year five of people being like die hard's my favorite movie what 
what makes it a Christmas movie other than the fact that it was set in Christmas? Right? A lot of movies are, are set over Christmas. Uh, most most war movies that take place over the course of a year probably probably have a Christmas scene. There's there's lots of um, American Sniper is a Christmas movie. It, it take you know the the uh, Bradley Cooper biopic of, of Navy Seal Chris Kyle, the the Na the Navy Seal sniper, right? That takes place over multiple years of his life. There was Christmases that happened. He missed them. Did they, like is is it a Christmas movie if they show? Christmas is it a Christmas movie if it takes place on Christmas but like you don't and and it's not see none of this is super fair of me to even be this critical of it because I have not seen Die Hard so I actually have no idea how relevant Christmas is to the storyline I have no idea how much Christmas plays into the plot that's another way of saying the exact same thing I don't know if there's Christmas trees all over the place. I am happy though. I have the Die Hard movies have always been one of the franchises, which I felt like as a man who was born in the decade years that I was born in, I felt like there were certain movies that everybody just takes for granted that you've seen, right? And I had seen almost none of those franchises. I'd never seen a Terminator movie. I'd never seen a Predator movie. I'd never seen a Robocop movie. I didn't know who the Transformers were. Uh, I, I grew up with G.I. Joe action figures, but I'd never watched the cartoons. Um, I actually almost, I almost had no idea who the Transformers were. I really feel like I'm discussing things were, that were discussed, uh, previously years ago. Because I'm only one person, this is the problem when you have a podcast where it is mostly just yourself. And you've been recording over some very, like, depressing... Uh, introspective times of your life like a global pandemic where you're basically locked down not going anywhere doing anything for over a year of your life and you realize how little you actually have to say if you're just going to record yourself talking for an hour that's and you want to bring in guests but you just don't take the time to organize that to get them scheduled to to make those calls and get people on your podcast and then you end up saying the exact same stories and thoughts why because you haven't developed as a person i'm talking to myself haven't developed as a person over the years and i have there's been some amazing progress and awesome projects and stuff that is working uh i was listening just the other day in the other room i could hear my girlfriend put on an early episode she has gone back and started listening from the beginning and i did an interview with one of my best friends nick Cassano, and we were so excited because we had just we thought i mean no we did we we sold a a tv pilot to a production company in atlanta we were getting ready to film we were writing episodes we were just so excited we were we thought the world was going to be ours. We were already planning on what we were going to do with the money, with the spoils of our riches. Is that the expression, spoil? Uh, didn't remember I had announced it and we had talked about it that way. Uh, talk about podcast episodes that do not age well. And then, you know what? I am fine with that, because guess what? None of these episodes age well. Why? Because they weren't born well. They weren't conceived well. This is still a podcast that has failed to find its identity. And yet, I feel in some weird ways that makes it more Silver Linings Playbook than anything, than committing to anything. Because what is that? Like this, It's just become this weird, like, it's not a good idea. Why do I do this? Why am I holding myself to this impossible standard if I have to record, edit, produce, and upload to distribute a podcast every week? 79 weeks in a row of something I don't even totally believe in. And yet, it's weird. It's like my disbelief in it is what makes me convicted in it. Do you need to have belief in something to have conviction about it? Because that's the thing. This, this is, so this is what I'm saying, right? Like, I don't, I don't believe in my podcast in a sense of, like, it's not good. I don't... I, I tell people that I have it as a joke. 
right? Maybe this is just the the longest con, the biggest joke, the the most delayed gratification payoff that I have ever done. Committing this much time and effort, I've spent money on it. I have taken trips for it. I have literally traversed miles and spent hours of my life trying to make this podcast that I like to tell people I have, but I don't want people to listen to. And the only reason I don't want people, like, it's not that I don't want people to listen to. I'm going to be totally honest. I'm going to be so honest and raw and emotionally vulnerable in this, this point. I might be a little bit of a narcissist. There's a part of me that wants to believe that I am so awesome, and I, but, but I know I'm not, all right? Let's, let's, let's say that there is the, the, what people call the right side and the left side of your brain thinking, and the right side is like, you just, you're, you're creative, you're qualitative, your imagination, um, you know, and the left side of your brain is the qualitative, logical, uh, rational side, right? The, the rational side is very honest. And if, if, if I was to say that there was any part of me that's smart, um, I would say that it's my, uh, not, not common sense, but my sense enough to know that the right side of my brain is an idiot. All right. So what I'm saying is like the, the smart part of me knows that I'm stupid. The stupid part of me thinks I'm awesome. How awesome do I think I am? I am narcissistic possibly enough to believe that maybe one day my podcast would be discovered and people would look back and think that I was so awesome they actually cared about any of the things that were said in any of the previous episodes. The smart part of my left side of my brain that knows that the right part of my brain is an idiot and is far more humble with that humility knows and I believe knows stronger than the idealistic side of my brain the left side knows this podcast is ridiculous it doesn't make sense it's not consistent it's not good. There's, I mean, there's, there's, there's a little bit of content here and there over the years, and I, and like that's the sad part that I can say years. It is all right. I've had some talks with some cool people. I, we have, we have said there have been some original thoughts, and that's gonna happen. If you have two even like minimally coherent people talk to each other and record it, or even just one person solo by themselves. For years, if they put in this many hours, occasionally there's going to be a thought every now and then that might be worthwhile. I believe that. And actually, that's not based on anything. But it's just I'm sort of like making an assumption based on rules of averages and statistics that, you know, probably, probably somewhere in there. Uh, there, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. You know, if you leave a hundred monkeys on typewriters typing they'll eventually uh reproduce one of shakespeare's plays i don't know which one hamlet macbeth romeo and juliet the tempest midsummer night's eve twelfth night sonnet <laughs> i don't i don't know um also that's the extent of the shakespeare plays that i know and i know he did a lot more but those are the big ones too so so I've been I'm saying I'm, I'm doing this I'm holding myself to this impossible standard of of trying to create something just to create it just to create it in this stupid hopeful notion that one day it will be worth something while the other part of my brain's like why are, why are you even doing this you could just be focusing your effort on actually creating something that is good the first time Instead of wasting your time trying to create something that will be good if anybody ever goes back and watches it, which is not what you're trying to do. Alright, sorry for that break. We took a little pause. I, I always refer to myself in the plural. I took a little pause because I got off the rails and was not talking about I actually have a topic this week. And we got way, way off track into... And I don't even think it was a bad track. I just... Um, well, you know, 
I have things I want to talk about. And I thought it was like far too into the headspace ether of things that are not relevant towards Silver Linings playbook. But in some weird way, is that not sort of the most Silver Linings playbook thing? Did we use that expression twice on this episode? This is really when I wish I had a time machine. I wish this was not just an audio podcast and I could go back or I had a producer and I could just be like, hey, did we did we say this already? But it is not important. Um, yes, we were getting back on track because Silver Linings Playbook is all about focus. It's not, really. Um, even though the main character, Pat, uh, really does have super focus on his main goals in the beginning because what does he he has good things thrown into his life opportunities new uh, opportunities even friends if you even take from the very beginning of the movie where he is uh, given his friend Danny and his mother gives him an opportunity to uh, be a better person but he's so focused on getting back with his ex-wife that he ignores the restraining order uh, by going to the school, her place of work. Um, he is also uh, given an opportunity to reconnect with his dad, but he is not focused on that. And this is a weird thing because focus can be a very good thing. It's definitely not a good or bad thing inherently. Really, it's the same as every type of uh, vice, bad decision, thing that that we do to harm ourselves. A lot of these have no intrinsic moral value as good or bad. And if you go back to the episodes in which we were talking about trying to define what is good, and I believe that, like, go back to the teens, the teens of episodes where we uh, delve into the... the um, I'm not remember. Okay, I'm going to pause now. I heard an amazing joke... On, on social media the other day where okay the joke was uh my I, th I think this dude is like i have a friend who keeps mistaking etymology and entomology uh uh and i have no words for how much this bugs me which is a fantastic joke it's really it's it's the perfect kind of joke that's uh, formulaically very stupid, yet you have to sort of know what two, um, you know, multisyllabic words are to understand that. I actually, like, wouldn't have known if, if I was on Jeopardy and I was asked, what is etymology, what is entomology, I would not have answered them correctly, but in the context of the joke, I was smart enough to be like, oh my goodness, that is hilarious. So that's probably, that's probably, that might be like the best assessment of my overall intelligence level right there. It's like, this guy's smart enough to get a joke with big words, but only if the big words are used in a context where he doesn't have to know what those big words are. And here we are again, really, really far away off uh, from talking about Die Hard. But I think it's important because if you look at the the direction that this podcast has taken over the last 79 weeks, do y'all realize how much I repeat the same words multiple times, sort of like, uh, it's funny because it's only a very quick line, I think he appears twice in the movie Goodfellas, but there's a character that says everything twice. He, uh, I think the first time you see him, he says, I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. And I think he appears one other time when he gets killed. Um, I don't remember, and I feel bad because that is probably one of my favorite movies. And when I say favorite movies, not favorite movies, and, like, I'm going... Uh, I... You all know I have a really weird relationship with Silver Linings Playbook, the movie. Uh, it's been anointed my favorite movie, but I, I, if so, I'm I'm not a I'm not a celebrity, but I would say I am a public figure because I have now put myself out into a sphere where I have people who I don't know uh, through any other 
reason than they saw me perform and are now connected to me. Um, be it as a fan, an acquaintance, a friend, and in some ways the expectation of what they have and they're expecting to see me produce, how they know me through the, the parasocial relationship that they have constructed in their head and their life, they see me as a comedian, right? Um, they see me as a performer and entertainer. So, so like there's this whole parasocial relationship I almost have with myself where it's like this might not actually be me if I stop and I was talking privately to somebody that, that I really know as a person I might be like hey my favorite cake is lemon poppy seed cake but publicly my favorite cake is red velvet cake and that's not even necessarily um I don't completely know how that started other than if the then, then the attention span of quote-unquote public is so shallow that if you just keep saying the same thing repeatedly they associate it with you they won't even like pay enough attention to understand what the reason is they associate that with you they just associate it with you so I, I was saying red velvet cake a lot during the beginning of my career the I, I said it so much and if you are listening this is a regret I have had for Years. I've had it since I think 2010. One time I did when Facebook was a lot younger and I was a brand new comic and I didn't realize that, um, you know, it's stupid to always be asking people to come to your show. Like, your friends don't want to come. Y'all don't want to come to multiple shows. If you've made it this far into the podcast, not only just this episode, but if you've made it this far into the series, one, again, I'm going to remind you just don't. But, but also, every, every, every entertainer, when they start perform, no, let's step that back. Everybody, no matter what the vocation, right? Like, if I start making knives, if I become a blacksmith and I start making knives, you know what? I'm probably going to be pretty excited. It's human nature to tell all your friends, like, hey, I, I make knives now. Come, come try my knives out. What... What comics don't know when we first start out, when, when we start at open mics, is we're not good. And our friends will see us early on and be like, that's the best you're ever going to see. And they're never going to come see you again and, and, until you get famous. And But that's like a whole different thing. That's the people that weren't... And, and I don't want to sound really terrible, like I'm saying, everybody is not your true supporter if they weren't with you every step of the way. No, um, but people have their lives going on. And, and comics write slowly, right? You see, you see the best, the most prolific professional comedians might put out a special once a year, and that's the most prolific comedians. That's the ones that are writing and performing non-stop uh dave Chappelle was was absolutely insane when over the last i believe it was either three or four years he put out six specials uh but that's also because you have to take into account dave has the ability to show up at at least he used to and he probably still does most clubs most comedy clubs he can show up on on any night and they will put him up to, you know, do as much stage time as he wants. So he has the tools to write faster than most comics. But look at a guy like uh, Bill Burr, who is a fantastic comedian. Uh, he And he does his Monday morning podcast, so he has that outlet. He's been doing a lot of acting and stuff. But, like, if you look at the amount of specials he has compared to certain other comedians, uh, he hasn't done as many. And they come out... Years in between, um, Jim Gaffigan, I think, has like five, maybe six, and an audio and an album. Um, but then he he got into TV and he had his own show and he also went through uh, some uh, life issues um, when his wife almost died and then he was taking care of her. It's, do I have that backwards? That would be really embarrassing if I have that backwards. It's okay. No, no, uh, you guys don't care. Um, no, I mean, like, you do care. But I. this is why I took the pause earlier, because I got super off track like this. See, still not talking about Die Hard. That's, I'm going to get back to there in a second. But I'm very passionate about 
this topic that I'm talking about right now. So we're just going to continue for a little bit and I'm going to find a way to bring it back around because somehow we always do. And that's actually the beautiful thing about this. Like if you, if you listen back, I don't always bring it back, but that's sort of the point of having this overarching theme, calling it the Silver Linings Playcast. Silver Linings Playbook is the theme that brings it all together. I'm going to say Excelsior at the end of the, every podcast, and you'll know it's over. I say a quote from somebody that's somewhat related at the beginning, and you know it's beginning. You tuned in, and you listened, and that's that's on you. I've... Ever, like, this is the 79th episode of a podcast of me telling you not to listen to a podcast because it's terrible. Okay, what was I talking about? We were definitely on the subject... Oh. I'm sorry, I'm stepping back. We're rewinding. Again, we're talking about uh, the parasocial relationship and how Silver Linings Playbook is... Okay, it's not my favorite movie, but it is also my favorite movie because there's sort of multiple personalities of me. Not multiple personalities in a sense of like like clinically i don't have a multiple personality disorder i don't think i mean i guess i've never actually talked but i don't i don't think i any it's not important um you know and i don't think i have uh the borderline personality either i think it's simply uh a part of what public figures do public figures create a persona that they exist in and then they're deciding how much of their life is going to inhabit that persona uh how much off stage how much they're going to keep it up when they're in public how much their social media will reflect who they are on stage how much it will reflect in their personal relationships and friendships and i'm just the person that has that that has spent time uh so alone or moving from group to group that it's become very much my habit to to maintain that public face or the one that I want to as a performer so much that sometimes I have lost myself in my personal private life about like what is real what is show and then you know there's all the philosophical questions of does it really matter the difference because you have all the uh, mythologies and fairy tales uh, philosophies of, of like does does intent really matter is a is a bad person who who takes a good action uh, like is that good action negated because the intent was bad right uh, again bad at, at analogies on the spot let's just say I am driving down the street in Germany in 1940 um, I don't know if Germany is one of those drive on the other side of the street than the U.S., but this is being recorded on the U.S., so let's just say they're a drive on the left side of the street. I am clearly a time traveler in this scenario, so I am driving on the right street. Um, I am late to my Nazi rally. Okay, okay, also let me preface this. This is a hypothetical so you understand the philosophical point I'm trying to make. I am not a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah. Also, that uh, little speech snafu right there is not me getting nervous about what I'm saying. I was just trying to correct because my brain is going way faster than my mouth can keep up with right now. Okay? So, in a hypothetical world, because, also, because there is, here's the thing, I am not afraid of, uh, even if there is a cancel culture or not, this is, I'm sorry, let's take this to another super important place because you all know I keep saying you all. Uh, Chip, you know I love Lenny Bruce. Brian, you know I love Lenny Bruce. Um, There is this weird thing about cancel culture. uh, An argument about whether it even exists. And I take uh, a position on that that I think would actually surprise a lot of people, especially the people that follow my comedy. My position is, I don't care if if it does you know, then that is what the consensus of the public, of the, of the population has decided is important and it's valued. And if that's what they need to do, uh, I support whatever is the most good for the most people. But if it also doesn't, 
that's good too because I, I again uh, see listen to point one. My point about not caring is my job as a comedian is to subvert the expectation of my audience. Because I take my job very professionally, because I study and think about the theory behind comedy and what makes something funny, throwing more more rules on me, throwing up more restrictions on me, that actually makes my job easier, right? I have done comedy in places uh, for different audiences that, that, you know, were kind of crazy themselves, right? Some of y'all know, you all have performed with me at these different conventions and such, where, um, like Frolicon, where I once had somebody ask me, is this not the best place to do comedy? And, you know, I gave them a polite answer, the sort of the the public PR press conference answer. I, you know, I really enjoy it. It's always so much fun. This is one of my favorite, but honestly, it was not even close to one of my favorite places to perform comedy. And why is that? Because everybody there is already sort of game for everything edgy. Right? Uh, if you're not familiar with it, look that up on your own. Uh, but um, a convention where, where people are already sort of expecting you to be as dirty with your humor and as crude with your jokes as you possibly can be that actually, in my book, sets an extremely difficult precedent for somebody to be funny. Because, at, at least my style, I don't want to take away from the, the kind of comics that, that can feed into that kind of energy, but my comedy, which I talk about subverting expectations, is I really enjoy that borderline of whether something is appropriate or not. My The jokes that I have that are the most pleasing to me are like if I... I can perform something that I feel like makes an audience that's expecting clean comedy to feel a little uncomfortable. And sometimes I have pushed them too far. I have gotten bans from my own home club back when I started doing comedy. But that was because I sort of overestimated. And and I don't want to go too far in that direction and become a shock comic either. It's That's not my sense of humor. My sense of humor is really just enjoying that line, playing with the line. Why? Because it gives me a sense of control, probably. And that is probably why I'm using comedy to, uh, you know, like as my vice, to give me a sense of control in a world that is chaotic, where you can't control anything, which is what I tie back all, all vices philosophically to. We have this fear of death and the unknown in Western society because we don't talk about it and we don't explain these things and we don't think about them in mature, honest, and open ways. So like if you're a child and you're exposed to things that should not happen, even just historical things, kids that were born, uh, it wouldn't make sense for them to be born in 2001 because they would be too young to experience the events of 2001. But like if you were born in... 1996 and you grew up in the year 2001 in the United States that means you're the generation that had to grow up with the movie Pearl Harbor with Ben Affleck and that was a terrible movie that was one of the worst things that happened that year and I like and you know you're trying to explain to your kids like this is a um, you know looks like a historical epic a romance like the the cinematography looks beautiful from the trailer then you watch it and you're like this is just awful like it's like a cartoon. It's a cartoon about, you know, uh, in in a historical tragedy that happened in the Pacific, which takes me back to the U.S. entry into World War II. So say I'm in Germany. I'm not really a Nazi, but say that I was back in time pretending to be. It doesn't matter why I'm going to a Nazi rally. So I'm going to a pro-Hitler convention in Germany. But... I'm from 2021, the U.S. I drive on the right side of the street. Uh, Mr. Adolf walks out of a building, and he does not look the direction my car is coming because he's not expecting me to be driving on what would be the wrong side of the street in Germany. Germany, if you drive on the same street as us, sorry about that lack of accuracy. Um, And I hit him, and I kill him, 
right? I think most Westerners, most people in this time would say, hey, that is a morally good thing you did. You, you killed the person that was one of the most uh, uh, atrocious people in history. Um, actually, I, I sort of take issue with that. I think that is some really lazy uh, scholarly take on history, too. Because if we, I don't know, like it's hard to compare terrible people, but if you're looking at just numbers, um, you could say that Stalin uh, was responsible for more deaths numerically. But that's actually not even going back into let's let's go back into some actual history. Um, you have uh, like some really bad Roman emperors, uh, I think. It's Attila the Hun that is actually credited with the most slaughter of all time. I could be uh, mistaken. It's either Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan. Also, this is just going to show you how dumb and racist I am, but not racist in a Nazi way. Are Attila the Hun and Genghis Khan different people, or are they the same person? I feel... This had better... My Christmas episode, where I'm trying to talk about history, had better not be the moment where this podcast just... This is why I paused earlier, guys, because I'm still trying to get us back to Die Hard right now, and I'm not sure we're going to make it uh, there, because I'm... Anyway, I was saying about the uh, whether, whether a good person doing a bad thing or a bad... Th so things aren't necessarily good or bad always, morally. We collectively assign a value to it based on our personal belief systems or our collective belief systems as a society, meaning that people in different countries have different value systems than which we as individuals sort of create our own personal codes to go along with, right? Like my code, I don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of killing. I sort of feel like you shouldn't kill. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's a very widely held belief in most of society, but I am also going, I'm going to be very objective in this and say there are totally philosophies of humanity out there in which it, it might not be the worst thing in the world. I don't know. I'm not trying to condone any act of violence at all. Not even close. Uh, I am simply saying that there are different ways to be raised that make you believe different things, that make you think about things in different ways. So, uh, what I was trying to get... The, the point I'm trying to make with all of this is that I... I really love, more than anything... Lemon poppy seed pound cake. The biggest irony of lemon poppy seed pound cake being that I don't I don't like uh, I like a very specific lemon poppy seed pound cake. When I was in the army, uh, in our MREs, lemon poppy seed pound cake used to be my most favorite dessert that came with them, and it was so good. And it, it's also probably a terrible food, but it's so good. But uh, somehow it got really associated with me the concept that red velvet cake was my favorite cake because I'm used to making jokes about it. Here's the thing. I wanted to like red velvet cake. I used to post about red velvet cake because I was really into southern things. I think I th I'm, I'm being really honest, but I'm so far removed because this is from over a decade ago. But my belief is that I really wanted to date a southern girl and I thought southern culture was a thing I had to understand for that and so I looked up what is something I think southern women like and I was like ah red velvet cake uh, I guess which is sort of weird because I don't even associate red velvet cake superly with southern culture even though I think it kind of is because sometimes it comes with pecans which is sort of a southern nut I guess um But yeah, so that's my thing. I'm saying that, that, that uh, Silver Linings Playbook is my red velvet cake. Now, the reason that I'm making this confession, this big-time confession, is that 
when I was a young comedian, I invited people out to shows. And I would do whatever I could to get people out to shows. And so one July, I posted that people should come celebrate my birthday in July by coming to see me do stand-up comedy at my home club, The Punchline, in Atlanta. Now, I don't think I said it was my birthday. I think I, I just said, come celebrate my birthday. I could be wrong. I might have been a liar at this point in my life. I'm not sure. It just, I know myself enough, and I know the way I've been, that I feel like I was a person that would have said, come celebrate, you know, like, technically technically not do anything wrong even though it might totally be wrong but i feel like it was and so i was sort of like um come celebrate my birthday anyway the the point is one of my friends came and he brought me a red velvet birthday cake and also it wasn't like it was a nice one it was from it was like a full-size one it wasn't a cupcake it was the full cake and i brought that because i lied about it being my birthday i lied about it because it's still lying to... I just didn't know anybody would do that, though. I was not expecting... Like, I, here's the thing. As a comic, you're not even expecting people to come up to your shows when you're like, Hey, come see my show. I'm not... You know? We, we all know the game. We all know how we are on that. We didn't expect people to really come to our shows. And he did. And he brought me a red velvet cake. And... I just went with it. And I served it to my friends, and we ate it, and I thanked them for my birthday cake. So if you're listening, uh, Neil, I owe you a cake. And you can claim that on any day, and it doesn't have to be your birthday. If there's interest, I don't know what cake interest uh, accrues to over a decade, but I owe you a cake plus 10 years of interest. Anyway... It looks like we have gotten, <laughs> but you, I was going to say off track, but you know what? Can we ever really be off track? Because the whole point I've tried to reiterate is that there is no track. The track is defined by the, the limits of the podcast and the movie and what we want to talk about. And I speak into a microphone, and if people choose to listen to it, the podcast exists. If I speak into the microphone and people don't listen to it, does the podcast exist? Here's the thing. Maybe it doesn't matter. So when people wonder whether... Christmas is real or not. I'm not talking about the holiday, but like if there's really a reason to celebrate it or not. Maybe people are right and wrong. The people that celebrate Christmas are correct, and the people that don't celebrate Christmas are correct. Maybe it is like uh, Schrodinger's cat. Right? We don't know if there's a baby in the manger until he's he's there or not um until you look i don't anyway i hope let's let's there's been a lot of thoughts i want you guys to email me at silverliningsplaycast at gmail.com if you think that die hard is a christmas movie uh i want you to email me if you don't think it is a christmas movie also let me know what your favorite christmas movie is but wait until uh 79 plus 51 episodes from now because it will be really irrelevant we'll probably be talking about going into the new year new year's eve and new year's resolutions because i feel like there's a lot of themes thematically that would tie into silver linings playbook way better uh but thank you guys so much for tuning in this week you know that i always say say guys generic because there is room for any any type of people uh who identify any way um to listen to this i just say guys because i already waste so many words i i can't label everything so i, I say guys in the generic but uh i'll say y'all all y'all 
all y'all. Uh, I love y'all. Thank you for coming in, listen, for tuning in or tuning out. Like I, I have just as much thanks if you stop listening to this podcast too, because while it hurts my ego, it hurts my narcissistic right side of my brain. It makes my left side of my brain feel like it's doing the right thing, even if it's for the wrong reason. Or no, 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 maybe doing the wrong thing, even if it is for the right reason. Anyway, tune in next week, and every week we continue to do this. Uh, For all your information on Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and The Silver Linings Playbook, the book. And until next time, we will see you down the road at Excelsior.